0: From AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor, this is (laughs) Laughbox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Hello, friends, and welcome to Laughbox, the official, the absolute official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Today, I am super excited because we've got Julie Ostra with us, and she is um, a really cool person and is i want to say the 2014 um laughing champ was it 2014
1: it was 2013.
0: oh i was close north Mm -hmm. american north american laughter champion and she's also um does some stand-up comedy and she um uh, helps uh, people uh you know uh, break down communication barriers and connect better through improv which is close to my heart i spent um, a little over a year down at Second City, learning the ways of improv. I'm nowhere as good as she is, but uh, we, we were talking earlier. I'm a firm believer all life is improv. Hopefully, we get to talk about that a little bit. So welcome, Julie.
1: Hey, thanks, Chip. <laughs> we're here. We did it. Yay. We made it this far. We did
0: make it this far. We had a few technical difficulties uh, previous to this, but right now we are um, cooking with gas, so they speak. So, Julie. Welcome to the inaugural, the absolute first podcast uh, for uh, AATH. I'm happy to have you. I'm, thanks for um, request or accepting my invitation. So, if you want to tell everybody a little bit about who you are, what you do, what's what's your what's your gig, what's your game,
1: what's what's my deal, man? Thanks, thanks for having me. As I say at the beginning of every, year. thank you so much for inviting me to this podcast.
0: Why, certainly, it's a, it's an absolute pleasure.
1: And I'm so glad that we're going to be talking about very serious topics, humor, and laughter, and maybe some improv. But but what I call myself is the humor, laughter, and improv coach. Well, what does that mean? Oh, are you going to teach us how to be funny? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Well, are you going to... Well, I'm not that funny. I'm not a comedian. Well, here's the deal. I call myself the humor, laughter, and improv coach with special emphasis on the improv because, as you mentioned at the beginning, Chip, that I use improv to help people improve communication. And I believe life is improv. We can go through our lives planning step by step, but there's always the unexpected. How are we going to adapt to the unexpected? I think throwing a little humor and laughter helps. And um, I think we adapted pretty well to the unexpected technical glitches
0: we experienced. It was certainly stressing me out. Yes, it was. But uh, just hearing your voice makes it better. So um, now, what's
1: Get your shovels,
0: everybody. <laughs> how did you get involved with, um, you know, say, like humor and improv? I mean, how did that all work for you? I mean, you know, what's, what's your, what, uh, to put it uh, seriously, what's your humor journey?
1: Well, you know, it's really cool that you asked me that because I'm going to be speaking at Ignite Chicago on Tuesday, January 31st, and I'm speaking just about that. And the foundation of my story is when I was working in Chicago in the city about 25 years ago, a co-worker of mine, Jennifer Bullock, said, you need to take – improv classes at Second City. I said, what's improv? What is Second City? And she said, you've got the humor, the wit, oh, and it's fantastic. And I said, well, I I don't have money. I don't have money for that. Being paid $18,000 a year even back then wasn't very much, but guess what she did? She said, okay, I'll put it on my credit card. You pay me back when you can. And that's so, right there. And so
0: to this day, you still owe the money.
1: Yeah, it, I think interest might have accumulated. I think, you know, let me call her and say it might be $140,282.76. Oh,
0: sorry. I just had to throw it in there. Well, I
1: think I have automatic payment um, paid to her, so I'm cool. I mean, I have a good credit standing with her.
0: 50 cents a month for, uh, yeah. for life.
1: Mm-hmm. That won't funny. even get you a cup of coffee at 7-Eleven there, Chip.
0: I um, I know. I won't even get you a candy bar. Which was so sad, unless you go to Dollar, yeah. the Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree, I think you can get a candy bar for fifty cents, because it's not everything's a dollar except for candy bars. So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not plugging Dollar Tree any way, shape, or form. But, you know, if you like candy, like I like candy, you always go the cheapest route. So I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm going to go the uh, the cheapest route I can get to uh, get fat. Oh, you know, I don't want to go broke getting fat. I want to enjoy myself.
1: That's right, because candy is bad for you, whether you pay five dollars or fifty cents.
0: Right now, the five dollar candy, you know, you want to make it, you, you want to feel like it's actually better for you because you're paying more and you're enjoying it more. I mean, there's probably some scientific, you know, study that shows that if you pay more for candy, you're going to eat it slower and um, it releases more dopamine in your brain because you're actually enjoying <laughs> it more. Um, so this is related to therapeutic humor. It really is. Exactly. So you started with your first um, class. How was that for you?
1: Oh my gosh it was invigorating and during the audition i remember i had no fear i had um i i did not edit myself one iota and i had never taken an acting class the only thing i did in high school was stage crew in high school and i um i moved rizzo's chair in greece but what i'm getting to is i had no idea that i wanted to do that and what i think is beautiful is that when people are put in our lives, we don't even know why. And they might have, might guide us on the path of a path we didn't even know we were on. So that sparked my joy of, yes, wanting to be on stage, but most importantly, this art of improv. And even when I was there, I thought, there has to be a connection between what I'm doing here on stage and in life. Because at that time, I was also volunteering for um, Heartlight, which is a, a bereavement support group for children and their families associated with the now Lurie Children's Hospital. At the time it was Children's Memorial Hospital, mm-hmm. Hospital in Chicago. And I noticed that the rules applied. There was a, a correlation between those two. So um, non-judgment, being in the moment, and accepting what comes. How does that apply to grief? these kids we would be in say um, playing in the sandbox and little Johnny who was three or four his father had had passed away and he said I'm going to make a sandcastle so I can see my daddy in heaven and with the same inflection same tone and determination I said you're building a sandcastle so you can see your daddy in heaven so it's reflective listening and it's also yes and Now, what would have happened to Johnny if I said that's impossible.
0: Or he would have said, that's just stupid.
1: That's stupid. Here, read a book. <laughs> this is how you're supposed to do
0: it. Here, read a book. You draw know, a picture.
1: Draw a picture and be you're, you'll be fine. But what that program allowed kids to do was explore their own playfulness and be on their own uh, journey of grief recovery. Mm-hmm. Back to on stage and improv, when you're on a In a scene, for example, with three or four other people, and you throw out an idea, and someone says, well, that's not a tree, boom, your idea is disintegrated. Or on contrary if they, oh yes, it's a tree, and I'm going to add some bananas to it. So what does this lead to? I just, I've always had it in my brain and my heart that there is that correlation between what we're learning in improv and in life. What we're learning in life, we apply to improv.
0: I like that. I mean, when I went through, I mean, just the fact that you really had to listen. uh, Improv, it made me, I think, uh, a better husband. It made me a better father because I wasn't negating everything. I was actually listening to what was going on. Um, It just, you know, got me outside my box so much because, you know, so often, you know, we're just kind of, uh, I call it a life triangle. We live in a life triangle. You have three basic places that you go in life, you know, like it's homework, grocery store, homework, church, whatever it is. And that's the triangle we live in. Um, and what I liked about uh, improv was that it took me outside my triangle. Mm. So I was, you know, um, so it was it was it was uh, a polyhedron and.
1: Uh... <laughs> 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 OK, um. I, don't I guess I've made progress because I did not shudder at the fact that geometry was brought into this. <laughs> I'm okay. But I love that. Think outside the triangle.
0: Think outside the triangle.
1: Think outside the tetrahedron.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm going to trademark that right now. Uh think outside the triangle TM Chipotle 2017. So, um so you spent your time there at Second City. I know you do some other improv stuff. You know, how did you get in the humor world, because I know we met through the association, through AATH, you know, how did you, how did you get there?
1: At one point, I think it might even have been about 10 years ago, I was Googling, hey, maybe there's some other people who want to do what I'm doing, and I don't remember what Google search I did, but I found AATH, I also found the Certified Laughter Leader Group, and that's where you and I met, you were one of my trainers. I was. Yes. You tried to forget that. No, I'm kidding.
0: I had blocked that out, but thanks for bringing it up. Um, it was a traumatic experience for me. <laughs> it
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> How many listeners have we lost so far? And five, four, three, two, one. Zero listeners. Awesome. Um, so in my in my search, I found other people are doing this laughter thing other people are laughing and they're helping other people and they're not getting shunned for laughing out loud in public Uh i would get either um, complimented or criticized for my laugh Um, but since winning the championship you know what okay i've got the trophy you don't have to criticize me anymore Um, and then with finding a humor association what what there are people study therapeutic, therapeutic humor.
0: What is that?
1: What is that? And so I, I reached out to, um, the then president, Lenny Dave. And I met him at the first conference in 2009, first conference that I went to. Mm -hmm. So bottom line is I knew someone outside of myself, my circle suggested I go to improv. And then I knew that there was something having to do with humor and laughter, and and then I found people who were doing what I was doing and wanted to do, and then I found this community. So as as I have gone on my life, I've been open to opportunities for laughter and humor and improv, um, and, and that's that's really how my, my path has been.
0: Is that clear or, or Well, it's no, that well, it's it's convolutedly clear. Um,
1: <laughs> is it, or is it, and is it repetitively redundant?
0: Yes, that's it. Um, what's funny is that I always maintain that a lot of times, you know, with AATH especially. Um, for people that have always kind of been the, you know, the outcast or the oddball, you know, when they find AATH, they found their home. They found, like, all the people that um, they've been looking for their entire lives, the people that get the joke. And, you know, that uh, and fundamentally some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Just I remember my first conference in 2006. We uh, uh, it was in Panama City Beach, and at the end of the weekend, I, uh, I told my then wife, i say then wife because she's not my wife anymore. Humor didn't cure that, um, but I, I did. Uh, I said, "See, it's gonna be difficult for me to go back to real life after this. I mean, real people aren't this nice, but everybody at the conference, you know, was that nice. It was just um, an interesting thing." So you know that's kind of cool. It's an interesting story, you know, um, not convoluted, you know, whatsoever. Uh, we were talking earlier about um, how should I put it? It's kind of like humor at the the end of life, because I know that uh, we were sharing stories about my dad passing and your dad, uh, mom, you know, passing, and you know, finding humor in that. And, and sometimes, how should I, people might think that uh, bad taste or illy advo- illi Ill advised. I was going to say Illy. I don't think Illy is a word. Iliad
1: and is. Iliad, Iliad is the name of that guy in the Odyssey. Uh
0: huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. Yeah, It's the name of the Homer book, yeah, the Iliad. But um, so, share some, you know, like I know that uh, when you go out and speak, you share, you know, with you know different people on humor as a coping strategy and so forth. How has it personally helped you?
1: Well, when my. This March will mark twenty five years since my mom passed away mm. twenty five years and for those of you doing math and that that's half of that will have been half my life. So do the math and you can figure out, okay, send birthday presents, but um, no black balloons thanks um, <clears throat> So what I found was, yes, it was very hard to see my mom die saw her die, but She managed to have a sense of humor, just something simple as maybe the morphine kicked in. But I remember being uh, working. working, Either way, it made her light light and lucid. And I remember calling her from my job down in Michigan Avenue. It was on a Friday afternoon. I would take the train out to Naperville as much as I could to to see her. And I said, "Mom, I'm going to come out and visit you." No, 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 you stay downtown, and you you should spend time with your friends. She's very caring very caring person never worried about herself always caring about other people and I said mom my 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 bags are packed And she goes oh my bags are packed la la la." <laughs> so maybe it wasn't funny to anybody else but like okay so there I am laughing and crying in my cube and, and I'm supposed to maintain you know, corporate decorum I suppose but I said okay I'm coming to see you but what what I f- I found was um Really healing it at her funeral. I mean talk about when I speak to groups and I say You know what laughing in the stressful times can be helpful We laughed at my mom's funeral (laughs) You can picture can you picture people's faces? Oh my gosh, how disrespectful you could see it in their faces What you laughed at your mom's funeral? Well six of us kids sitting, chatting, weeping, five of us. Our other, one of our sisters, all of a sudden we hear her say, from the back of the room where the the casket was, she said, thank you so much for coming. We all looked at each other and like, wait a minute, is she saying thanks for coming to mom? (laughs) Then we realized she was saying goodbye to some neighbors who were leaving out that door. And in that moment when we, we realized how ludicrous we thought what was really happening, and then the bridge from that moment to the reality of, oh, she was just saying goodbye to those old neighbors. We looked at each other and started laughing. So all five of us were laughing. That sister came up. She goes, what are you laughing at? She didn't know what we were laughing at. We eventually told her. But she started in the laughter, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is the important part. In that moment of stress, stress, sadness, angst, and that bridge between that moment and the moment of laughter and connection, that moment right there is, is where the laughter connection happens. That's where we felt connected. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Everyone else in the funeral home looked at us. They were laughing. They started laughing. And the mood in the room felt so much lighter. You know, we gave everyone else in the room permission to laugh, too.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where they probably, you know, even if they found something funny, they probably didn't want to laugh because they would look at it as disrespectful. But, you know, if you, the ones that are most, you know, uh, directly impacted by, you know, the loss of your mother can laugh, certainly, you know, you gave them permission. That's a great example of uh, it. You can't really manifest those moments. Sometimes they just happen. just like, you know, sometimes all you can do is laugh because everything else is so crappy. Um, right. yeah it, right. I mean, yes it's like when uh, my dad passed last year i mean in he had had uh you know five years ago a guy diagnosed with you know lung cancer and it made it through the stage four lung cancer and we thought he was going to die then and then you know he pushed through that and had a mini stroke and every time i'd see him he's like well this is probably the last time you're going to see me and i would tell him every time it's like you keep saying that but yet you're still here and he you know <laughs> we would laugh a little bit and uh so finally, you know, my mom, you know, things went really, really fast last spring. And uh, my mom said he was putting him in hospice and I went down to central Illinois where they were at and tell my mom out and be there. And, and it, uh, within two days, I mean, of going into home hospice, you know, he had passed. And what's funny is, all right, so I can sleep through pretty much anything. So the one night, first night I was there, I, um, I was like, I'll take the first watch, mom. I'll sleep out here on the couch. Anything happens, I'm here. So mm-hmm. my dad couldn't get around on his own. so. But in the middle of the night, he had to go to the bathroom, and he got up, banged into every wall and everything. I didn't even wake up. I mean, I was like, I didn't even wake up. So the next night, my mom was like, well, um," I said, well, I'll take the watch tonight. I'll sleep out here on the couch. She's like, no, you didn't even wake up last night. I'm like, all right. So I go to sleep, and about uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, she comes running in there just in tears. She's like, I think he's gone. I think he's gone. And it was... uh, we went out there and you know he had gone peacefully in his sleep and you know we were sitting there kind of like trying to console each other you know hugging each other and you know it was in, in between the hugs and the tears there was like dead silence except for the the rhythmic churn of the oxygen tank and so i looked at my mom and i pointed to the oxygen tank and i was like uh are we just leaving that on in case we're wrong <laughs> And she started laughing and she's like, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just wait for the hospice nurse to get here. I said, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And, you know, and we've got six kids in my family too. And so, I mean, that whole week there was, um, a constant stream of, you know, laughter and joking, um, just because that's what helped us get through the situation, mm-hmm. you know, talking and that was the real legacy my dad gave us was that his sense of humor, um, in my opinion, that he always had a a good sense of humor, always had a joke on the ready, um, had some, what we would call, his name was Eugene, and we called him like, you know, Eugenisms, these just little- Oh, that's great! These little sayings that he would just, you know, throw at ya, and uh, most of them are not politically correct, so I cannot repeat them here, but within our family, you know, we know what they are, and so my my daughters would go down and see, they'd come back with, you know, the same things, you know, he was still telling the same stories, 50 years later that he was telling, you know, you know, me when I was growing up, you know, but to them, it was brand new. He had a new audience, you know, so. Yes. Um, yes. And that was the, the legacy that he kind of gave us. I can see that uh, piece of him and me and in my kids. It's just one of those things, like I would call it the humor legacy that, you know, the PC that never really passes on, that just goes from generation to generation if it's done right, I guess. So.
1: You know what? I'm thinking that your dad and my dad are wherever whether they believed in heaven or if they're just hanging around whichever but i'll bet they're having a, a joke battle right now
0: <laughs> Yeah, my dad's version of heaven would be this uh, see if they had like he used to go to this uh, bar called the crawfish buffet and he would hang out with all his buddies from the steel mill and they would you know razz each other so i imagine if the, you know his version of heaven would be the crawfish buffet endless cigarettes and free beer and friday night fish fry
1: Maybe my dad was more of a bookstore kind of guy. Bookstore, and <laughs> so maybe they'll maybe they'll chat on the street.
0: Yeah, I don't think they're probably hanging out together. Then.
1: <laughs> but then again, wherever they are, there's no judgment, I suppose. Uh, what was interesting is just just in September, we buried my father's ashes, although he he passed away in '08, and um, so we had you know shared some stories at gravesite, and as we were sharing stories that we remembered, it sparked memory in other siblings and one joke that my dad always did was and wherever my dad went he tried to make people laugh so I wonder I may have gotten that from him Mm -hmm. I always want to make people laugh and that was my dad too here's his favorite or at least my favorite of his so he's in a store and the open close sign is facing toward him so as he's walking out the door it says closed so he turns to the person at the counter. He says, how do I get out?
0: Nice. <laughs> you
1: yeah, wait for it?
0: Wait ah, for it? there it is. There, okay. there it is. <laughs> that, that is pretty funny.
1: So, no so matter what kind of relationship you had with your parents, um, I should say whatever... At times it was somewhat tumultuous, but he, oh, he's instilled the humor in me, you know, and he instilled, um, I think resilience too. I mean, right. that yeah. man was on, um, he had so many blood transfusions, but he wasn't going to give up. His, his folder was like, I don't know, five feet high, but exaggeration is used to make a point mm-hmm. and of all these different procedures that he had, but he wasn't giving up. His mind was always sharp as a tack, um, I like what you said about humor legacy it makes me think about what am I leaving for people whether I you know I don't have children of my own but people I come in contact with I am leaving a legacy whether it's negative or positive I think when I walk into a room and then leave the room what am I leaving there am I instilling humor and lightness in people's lives and I hope so Yeah, and you know I'll just stay home,
0: I'll just stay home. (laughs) Stay home. I got nothing to leave here, so I'm just gonna stay home. (laughs) I'll leave this year. (laughs) (laughs) No
1: harm, no foul.
0: (laughs) Exactly. You know that's what I tell people. It's like I always try to leave. You know things better than the way you got them. Um, And so in that case, just don't. Just stay home, Julie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to provide no value here, so I I, I opt out.
1: um, tapping <laughs> out before you even join in. Exactly. Oh my gosh, I had no idea he was going to laugh this much. But then, of course, it's you, Chip. I always have laughed with you. Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> how much. So, what do you so here? Let let's transfer this conversation to a job interview. So, what value do you do you see you bringing to our company? Um, <laughs> None. Nothing.
0: I am bring nothing.
1: On a scale of zero to ten, I'm gonna go negative one, Bob.
0: Everybody is gonna be worse off for having me there. <laughs> I'm gonna, de- I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna de- decrease the the overall IQ of most of the people here.
1: Emotional intelligence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Now, uh, how many? People-
1: plus in this, this podcast
0: 80 exactly the people, the, they're like who are these idiots um, so oh,
1: those people oh value bringing value and you know what i'll put on my website bringing value quote unquote to your organization
0: in quotes that's awesome because <laughs> well because value like humor is very subjective it is see how i bring it that back around to the topic there you go yeah
1: sure there you go you're good
0: good stuff very subjective well and it's uh and and so many things are subjective I mean like with your mom uh singing that song to you when she called you I mean that wouldn't have been funny to anybody else it was just it was it was funny to you you know in that moment and your mom knew it was funny just like you know with uh my dad used to love the Smothers Brothers and um there was a song that they would sing you know my old man and it was uh you know, it's like my old man's, you know, uh, this, what do you think about that? He wears a, um, uh, so I'm trying to think of, you know, like my dad was a millwright. So I would always say my old man's a millwright. What do you think about that? He wears a millwright's collar, a collar. He wears a millwright's hat, you know, so he goes through you know, this whole thing. And then at the end, they do this long thing of, of, uh, cotton chicken picking, you know, cotton picking chicken plucker. That's it. <laughs> it's hilarious.
1: You could get a little tongue tied if yeah. you're not careful, right?
0: So my, I grew up a little chubby kid, so my dad would always, uh, had this other song was, uh, he would sing me, he's like, roly poly, daddy's little fatty, eating corn and taters. Oh, and some people might think that was kind of, you know, uh, you know, mean, mean? but it was done in good humor. Cause my dad was, you know, grew up a fat kid as well. He understood where I was coming from, you know? And, uh, the so refrigerator. Ex- <laughs> Yes, so with uh, with that some so Mother's Brother song, I always told my dad that at his funeral I was going to sing that uh, you know that Mother's Brother song as part of his eulogy. But instead of uh, you know my old man's a Melrite, I was going to sing my old man's an a hole, and. He, <laughs>
1: If you, if no, he, he would just
0: that. he would just he would just start laughing, you know, because it was our private joke, you know. It was saying you know, nice. like the Roly Poly song was, you know, something he you know would sing to me in jest, and that was my you know. And he could always take a joke. and He could always laugh, you know. He could always laugh at himself, even when he knew he was, you know, he'd been kind of, uh, you know, uh, he had a um, I should say a quick trigger, so he'd get mad, he'd blow up, and then it was over, and then he realized that he'd just been an a hole, and then he would you know kind of like laugh it off or find the humor in it. And it was one of those things that, you know, just made the whole, diffused the whole situation in a lot of different ways. Yeah. So what
1: you're and talking about and bringing it back around about subjective humor, what I have found through the years is when people, Oh, you're a comedian. And then they find that it's, they think it's okay for them to start insulting me in their own biting humor. Oh, you're a comedian, so you must have tough skin. Oh, you're a comedian, I can insult you. So what one thing I would say is a takeaway from being a part of AATH is healthy humor and subjective humor. So what I I've diffused I diffuse that by saying, Oh, you know what? The only person who can make fun of me is me. And I focus on healthy humor. Oh, uh, what? They give this look what? You're not going to play, but I don't. I don't believe in criticizing anybody else. I am more than okay with finding fault in what I do and finding humor in it. Because then, when I laugh at myself, it gives people permission to make fun of themselves.
0: I see. For me, I'm exactly the opposite. I just like yeah. to make. I just like to make fun of other people.
1: Mm-hmm. That's called bulldozer <laughs> humor. We're going to trademark Julie Ostro, 2017.
0: Jake. <laughs> JK, LOL. Um, I I'm with you on that. Like I I'm all right with laughing at me, but I don't like when other people are doing it. So I don't try to do it to other people. And nothing's worse than that. Um, just wait
1: till I leave the room. Exactly.
0: No. <laughs> well, nobody's more aware of my faults than me. I mean, nobody knows chiplets like chiplets. And so like, I know, you know, where my faults are and my kids do too. Um, and they like to, uh, in the same way I my dad and I used to rib each other, my kids um, like to rib me on idiotic stuff. That's why, like, when I die, um, I want to be, you know, uh, cremated and put, you know, whatever they want to put me in. But then, you know, they've got to take turns, you know, pass me around to different family members. And then at Christmas, they need to bring me out, put me on the table, and then tell stories about uh, all the stupid stuff I did. That Love way. It love it e- either that love or it. i want to be cremated and put in a lamp and on the lamp i want inscribed you will light up my life <laughs> <laughs> or maybe both i don't know yeah you probably could, you put both of those together i guess I, i'm 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 thinking so all right but well you are I, dead
1: to me well, uh-huh <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Exactly. so if people are trying to you know um find humor in the, the tragedy, trad, tragedy. What are some ways that, uh, they can do that in your opinion? What are some ways that it would worked for you that I think you think are universal can work for other people, help them get out of the mess and, you know, just move on.
1: Well, I would say, and if I could edit what you're saying about, um, when you said move on, I don't want to negate that, but I want to add on to that. When I, experienced grief and losing losing my mom I realized that I would always grieve but my grief took a different shape um through my life I think when she first passed away it was this huge black dark hole on my heart but as I I got help I was with friends and you know 25 years later I realized the grief is still there and it's coming up more because marking 25 years and a couple couple of months. But it's taken a different shape. So I believe there's no moving on. It shapes us who we are. Um, but back to your question about tips. I would say laughing for no reason, laughing at the funny. But what I do want to encourage people to do is reach out to somebody. Reach out because being isolated and in your own grief and feeling lonely can really push you down even further in a dark hole of grief even if it means hey you know what I don't know what I'm going to talk about can you just listen to me mm-hmm. and I remember after my mom passed away a dear college friend of mine drove up in the middle of night of the night and she was there for me the next morning and she just sat with me as I sobbed um, so To deal with grief, I I think it's very important to reach out to other people. And if you're feeling really low, especially when you're feeling super low, that other people in the world have gone through what you're going through. Not exactly, but people can say, you know what, I'm here for you. So I guess this message is also for those people who have people in their lives who are experiencing grief. And, And remember that you don't have to say anything to the person who is grieving. All you have to do is show up. If it's a phone call or actually going over to their house, I'm here for you. And, I'm, and and applying the improv rules, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to fix you. I'm not going to tell you that your procedure or your process of grieving is wrong. I'm here for you.
0: Nice. I like that. <clears throat> because so many times we go through things and we think we're the only person going through it. Until, and yeah. until so we reach out and we talk to somebody. It's like, oh, well. You're going through that too. You know, I, I like that. You know, we as human beings are social creatures and, um, but sometimes we don't, uh, reach out when we should. And, you know, you're going to laugh more when you're with other people. Uh, well, uh, and, and maybe reaching out to the person that isn't going to, uh, make you feel worse. Maybe that would be the caveat. You know, if you know somebody's a downer and they're always really negative, um, you know, don't call them, you know, <laughs> Call that, well, pr- call that person that makes you laugh. Well,
1: I was just talking to a, a good friend of mine yesterday, and I said, you know what? I know that there are a few people I can count on my hand that I can call them, and I can say, this is where I am. I'm in a crappy place right now, and I know you won't judge me. So it's important to know who those people are in your life. And if you call Chip Lutz, it'll be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it'll be fine.
1: And I won't judge you either. I'll, I'll have, if you call me on Tuesday, I won't judge you.
0: Oh, I'll judge you. I just won't say anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You'll have good thing. We're not on Skype. Cause I, I'm, I'm sensing a judgmental look via Skype.
0: Hmm. I have a raised, I have a raised eyebrow. Well, I have had a yep. lot of fun. Um, talking, uh, uh, talking to you. I appreciate you, uh, Taking the time out to share some of your insights with people that may be listening to this. If after today people want to find you, where do they go?
1: They can go to julieostro.com. J U L I E O S as in Sam, T as in Tom, R O W dot com.
0: You're also where? Facebook. <laughs> Isn't everybody?
1: My husband is not.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> that's probably good.
1: <laughs> he he doesn't have to see all the photos of of me with my trophy he sees the trophy every day
0: right well I'm a firm believer that in relationships I don't need to know everything about you I just need to know you're going to be there tomorrow so you know maybe Facebook is a little t- you know too much you know sharing between people I know my kids aren't really they're not really much on Facebook anymore so because it was too weird for them to uh, be friends with me because I would. Tag them in the pictures of them when they were younger doing things on the toilet.
1: Well, I um, yeah, I have nothing to add to that except right. uh, well, maybe I do. That I've heard some twenty somethings at the gym say, "Yeah, Facebook is for older people." <laughs>
0: well, exactly, and that's me. I'm an older person. That's
1: that's me. Yeah, I. Yep. If someone was listening and doing the math, yeah.
0: Yep. Well, my friend, I appreciate your time. I encourage anybody listening to check out Julie at uh, juliostro.com. Uh, check out her programs. She's got some cool stuff on there. She's got some awesome videos. I think there's a video of her um, uh, doing some in- uh, interviews, uh, but also uh, talking about the Laughter Championship, North America Laughter Championship, which is pretty cool. Uh, I am Chip Lutz. If you're looking for me, you can find me at unconventionalleader.com. And I highly suggest that, you know, if humor is your, humor is your, humor is your gig, humor is your bag, you. Uh, have a an appreciation for humor, and people get the joke. To uh, check out AATH, and that's AATH.org. Again, thanks again, Julie. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks, Chip. Peace out.
0: Peace out. This is Laughbox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Laughbox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation, and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at AATH.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.